Hello, and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm Scott Brady, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Scott. What's going on, Matt? You know what? We're uh, just wrapping up with Overland Expo. I think it was a really great show. So yeah, things are really good. Awesome. And we have our guest today. We've got Rob Boheim from Australia, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about Australia. We're going to talk about traveling in Australia, and we're going to discuss what it takes to bring a vehicle into the country, what it takes to buy a vehicle in country, uh, top places to visit, some resources that you need, some things to be mindful of when you're traveling through the country. Uh, but I've known Rob for a long time, uh, over a decade now. I met him at the Outdoor Retailer Show um, totally by accident, and he's become a longtime friend um, and someone that I trust completely um, with anything around Australia. Um, and the reason for that is Rob and his family are the founders of the HEMA Maps uh, company in Australia, which it, which is the preeminent mapping tool uh, for Australians. It's available in print and um, as digital assets on GPS units and apps, et cetera. Um, and Rob, because of that, Rob has an enormous amount of experience traveling around the country. Uh, in fact, they started this very cool project decades ago. How long ago was the first map patrol? Uh, 1998. And what, what kind of vehicle did you use for the first map patrol? Uh, Nissan patrol, 4.2 liter, uh, turbo diesel, uh, pretty much unbreakable, but, um, yeah, I guess it, we're out there making maps. Um, I'd been researching maps with a GPS since 1996. One of the first people to um, get out there with a GPS and laptop and just go drive the road. There was no better way to get the information. And and how how many kilometers do you think you have driven in map patrols around Australia? Have you ever figured that out? Yeah, a few times, Scott. Um, and thanks so, so much for having me here today. Uh, it's just a pleasure to be part of the Overland community globally. Um, I think it's probably um, a couple of hundred thousand kilometers at least. Um, yeah, what's that? hundred something thousand miles. Um, and that's of actual um, map recording. So that's you know, the hardcore mapping part of it. That's not just the transit part. So Yeah, that's, um, incredible. that's incredible. I've been to um, pretty much all over Australia, all the, all the different corners, um, and to probably some of the most remote and unique places that anyone would ever go and probably hardly anyone has ever gone. Um, and that was always um, something that drove me to go down trails that nobody had ever been down before and put them on a map so that other people could come and discover them for themselves. And, and you're here in America with, with us at the Overland Expo East. Um, and before we get into the, the fun stuff on Australia, um, what do you think of the show so far? What's the one thing you'd want to buy personally or you'd want to, what vehicle you'd like to steal the title to? Oh, that's a hard one. I've... um. I've been eyeing off these um, sportsmobiles for a little while. So um, they are pretty cool. I, I guess the concept of just traveling independently uh, without a trailer with everything there, but uh, not yet for me. I've got to get my four kids through high school first and then <laughs> don't have to take them with us anymore. Just travel yeah. with my wife. So. Yeah, that would be great. And and in Australia, um, you've, you've built out 200 series Land Cruisers and 70 series Land Cruisers and Nissan patrols. <laughs> um, when someone is thinking about um, renting a vehicle in Australia, what would you typically recommend that they hire? I'd, I would start with looking at what the Australians generally use um, on outback trips um, and make sure you can you can rent one of those. But um, that's already in place with uh, you know companies like Brits in Australia that uh, 
for as long as I can remember, they've been renting out, you know, Toyota trip carriers. So definitely something with a Toyota badge. Um, it's, um, you know, it's it seen so many Toyotas in Australia, particularly the Land Cruisers and the like, you think that they were made there. Um, and um, Toyota's got a fantastic reputation. Just about every, you know, ranch or station owner's got a Toyota of some sort. So if you're going to get into trouble out there, then nine times out of ten, um, you're going to be able to find the, the parts really easily. Uh, the local country town, um, you know, the garage there will have something in this in their store or somebody driving by or an old wrecked car at the back. So, yeah, definitely a Toyota. Um, probably beyond that, um, anything Japanese made, uh, they just seem to handle the, the rugged terrain, the dust, um, and um, have yeah, just really great touring setups. Yeah, I, it's interesting to see. Um, because Toyota, it is definitely Toyota country. Yeah, hundred percent in Australia. And and you know, Matt, you you lived in Australia. Tell us a little bit about your time in Australia. How how long were you there? Uh, what were some of the places that you traveled? So, so I was there for a year. Um, I was there running a magazine. I was the only American to be an editor of a, a major four wheel drive magazine down there. I, I ran Unsealed Four by Four for a bit and kind of helped grow that and contribute to that. But um, you know, I, I guess I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I, I actually lived there um, and I did, I think the things that Australians do, um, you know, I've, you know, I guess I, I've done most of the Eastern half of, of Australia pretty, pretty comprehensively. Um, Americans, I think tend to, I always say they, they, they get like red fever. They, they want to go to Uluru. They want to do the Simpson desert. You know, that's their image of the outback, but there's so much, there's so much to Australia. Like I, I'm obsessed with Cape York personally. I mean, yeah. that is to me just, I, I think it's the best of Australia. Yeah. Um, you move from the desert to subtropical to full blown tropical rainforest jungle. Yeah, yeah. When you get up to the north, I remember how beautiful it was um, driving up there. And then uh, one place I've not been that I've heard so many great things about is the Kimberley. Oh, man. That's on my list. <clears throat> yeah. That's on your list. You have to go. Have to go. It's at the top of my list. I think, um, I think you and I like passed each other once while you were heading into the Kimberley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love the Kimberley so much that, I mean, I've spent many years mapping there, but you know, over time, but I uh, loved it so much that uh, several years ago, I took my whole, whole family with a camper trailer, 200 series Land Cruiser, you know, four kids, wife. And we went up to the Kimberley for four weeks because I'd, um, you know, flown through there pretty quickly making maps, you know, you're in there two weeks, you do every, you know, you work 12, 14 hours a day, didn't have time to stop and enjoy the places. So we went back there for a whole month and just, um, you know, I knew all the jewels, I knew the time, the places to spend time. And I, so I, you know, we spent five days in my, my favorite spot in the Bunga Bunga Pernalulu, um, most amazing geological formation. And we did a full hike, um, you know, the whole day with the kids. And it was just one of the best family experiences um, of my life so far. So. And, and I guess for those of you that don't know where the Kimberleys are, that's in the far northwestern corner of Australia. It's arguably probably the most remote portion of Australia. I, I mean, I guess you could say. I mean, the area is huge. I mean, there's yeah. probably maybe 20,000 people at the most in an area the size of the state of Victoria, uh, where there's 6 million people in Australia. So yeah. it's just, it's still frontier country. Um, you wouldn't want to be there in the, in the tropics where the cyclones coming in, um, you know, the whole place shuts down really remote gorges. Some of them you can only get to by boat or helicopter. Uh, it's just a spectacular place. Is, is that where that, uh, what do they call it? Vertical, vertical falls. Yeah, vertical yeah, falls. Horizontal falls. Horizontal so, falls. So they have um, about an eight-meter tide. Uh, you, can, you can work out what that is in feet, but um, runs 
runs at least once a day. I can't remember, it's twice. So um, the tide will flow through this um, maybe no more than a hundred foot wide gap um, is so strong that, um, yeah, they call it horizontal waterfall. So you can only get there by plane or boat. Wow. Yeah. And that was what I, what I noticed about my travels in Australia. I've been fortunate to cross it east, west, and north, south, all the way down to the tip of Tasmania. Um, but what you do realize is you can get extremely remote. Um, you, there are tracks that are very popular that you see a lot of, a lot of people on, yeah. but when I did the canning stock route, I, we didn't encounter a single individual mm-hmm. until we got to Kinorawachi in the center of, yep. of the track. Um, there was no people at all, no mm-hmm. even tracks on the ground. You couldn't see the imprints of tires, mm-hmm. yep. even from vehicles that have come before. Yeah, well, that's the great thing about the deserts in Australia. They kind of self-heal over the summer because nobody drives there um, over that six months. So the wind blows and cleans the track up again. It's nice and fresh for the next season. So, yeah, out mapping that way, Great Sandy Desert's probably some of the most um, uh, isolated, uh, you know, we talk about self-driven vehicles or or journeys. Um, I've been out there, single vehicle, uh, nothing but um, my Nissan Patrol, I'm a mate in the riding shotgun in the passenger seat to rely on and um, driven on tracks that went on any map for a whole week and not seeing another vehicle, not another soul. It was kind of came into the sort of shed at a local um, station and went, oh, civilization. Uh, you know, I'd been that much removed from um, seeing other, any other person except for a friend next to me um, and been bogged for 24 hours in the middle of a clay pan in the wet um, on a track that wasn't on a map going, okay. How do we get out of this? So, yeah, yeah that's not everybody. It's amazing. It's not what you're going to do on every trip. but um, And the Kimberley is just one of those amazing jewels. It's probably, for me, there's the, the top five being the Kimberley, Cape York you've talked about, Fraser Island, World Heritage, largest sand island in the world, 80 miles long. It's made entirely of sand and has some of the most I, amazing rate. I highly rate. recommend not to go to Fraser Island because it will ruin all <laughs> other beaches for you yeah. for the rest of yeah. eternity. Yeah. Everything and you is can, disappointing. And you can camp right on the beach. You can yeah. drive yeah. right on the beach. Yeah. Um, the only thing you have to be careful of is they actually do set up cops with radar radar guns yeah. on Fraser Island. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's easy to do yeah. 100k an hour on yeah. that hard pack. Yeah, sand. my friends, my friends, one of them. So <laughs> whenever I have friends coming, he's got to have friend. I, I let him know he's coming, and he usually you know gives him a fake ticket. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but yeah, there's places on Fraser Island that I don't tell anyone about um, because they're just so special and nobody that goes there. But you know, you've got beautiful um, subtropical rainforest growing on sand, um, crystal yeah. clear lakes. Um, yeah, we were there together. I remember yeah. that, Rob. That was a long, yep. 2011, right? Yeah. So what are the other in your top five you've got? Well, that's, there was three. I guess the um, the other two are really the, any any desert area. Uh, my favorite is the Great Sandy Desert, but that takes a lot of planning. Um, the most common one, as you guys have mentioned, is the Simpson Desert. You know, there you've got a thousand sand dunes to cross. You can spend three days doing it or you can spend two weeks to doing it. And as soon as you go off a sidetrack there, a clay panel on your own, um, a million, million, million stars. Um, and you somewhat recently were the first to actually map the Madigan line, like put it in data, I believe, right? Yeah, HEMA was. I didn't get to do yeah. that one personally, but our team went out there and mapped it all out. And, you know, that was the heart matter of our whole Great Desert Track series that we um, was inspired by my father back in uh, 1998. Um, we were making maps all around the outback areas on the coast and uh, I had him doing a field trip over on the west coast for me and uh, like they'd always done before, wanted to go down roads never been down before. I thought, how do we get from the west coast to the east coast and do it safely on a map? And it wasn't a decent map. So they came back and said, Rob, we're going to make a map of the whole interior of Australia, 
So yeah, we well then spent the next six months driving every road and track out there and putting on a map. Really, um, so we had the conferences to go there, but that started to unlock the whole of the heart of Australia in terms of those remote tracks because people had um, confidence in the map um, to take them places that had never been before. So, so yeah, Simpson Desert number four. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably changed my number five lately. It's um, probably was definitely the Flinders Ranges, but I've spent a bit of time in Tasmania recently, and um, that's beautiful. It's a very very special place. Lots of great four driving down there. Um, beautiful wilderness hikes to do. Um, all easily accessible. People are really friendly. Um, you know, the other one for the Australians is the high country, Victorian high country. Uh, but I think for North Americans, that's, you know, that's about 25% of the size of the mountains you get to drive on here. Um, and having driven it does around. have phenomenal access to those mountains. It that's does. The cool thing is there's so many roads, there's so many remote little villages. Mm. Um, you know, you can spend, um, months traveling down the East coast of Australia, um, with all sorts of, uh, access roads, to the local beaches and campsites, um, you know, for, about 2,000 miles around the coast, um, beautiful beaches, rocky headlands, campsite all to yourself. And just remember when you go to a beach in Australia, do some research because there, there may be a half a dozen different things that could eat you or, <laughs> or sting you. Um, or kill just you, just kill don't you, go on the water. Kill you, kill you in some matter. I mean, they have we, the box jellyfish. Yeah. They have giant but, crocs in the north. But on, a, but on a patrolled beach in Australia with, you know, surf lifesavers, there hasn't been a fatality in quite some time, I want to say, right? Like, it, where where you can swim, it's relatively safe. Well, where you can swim is relatively safe. I'm not sure about that fatalities. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we hear them about them each year, sadly. Um, but yeah. it's usually an international visitor that's not aware of the local conditions. So, yeah, but, you know, the crocodiles, the box jellyfish, that's stuff we just put on tourist brochures to keep the people out. So we've got the country, <laughs> country all to ourselves. <laughs> As you should. I mean, how do you think else we've got? 20-something million people in a country the size of the U.S. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so for those that are listening that want to travel to Australia, there's there's essentially three ways to do that. Um, you can ship your own vehicle from the U.S. or wherever you live uh, by container. Um, I shipped into Australia one time from uh, Vladivostok and Magadan in Russia. Um, but being mindful of that, um, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the next thing you can do is rent a vehicle, which Rob spoke to um, to some degree. And the third thing that you can do um, is purchase a vehicle in country. Um, but let's talk about that first, Matt. When you were there, you you bought a vehicle. You bought a Troopy. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a Land Cruiser Troop Carrier. I and mean, I think for a lot of Americans, that's the, the epitome of a really unobtainable vehicle. So, um, you know, it was, it was that or a Defender. And, you know, as Rob alluded to, it's it really is Toyota country. Um you know, I think, I think there's a lot going for purchasing a vehicle in Australia. Um, I'd you, know, agree. you know, my, my, my usual rule is, you know, you, you gotta be there for a few months, right. Um, because there are, there are costs associated with it. Um, you know, my best recommendation to people is, you know, go over there, travel, buy something. Um, just make sure you buy something that's 25 years old because then you can bring it back as a souvenir. And yeah. if you're smart, you can probably pay for your trip. So, yep. um, you know, the, the cool thing with Australia, some some American states do it, but there are very comprehensive, uh, you know, vehicle inspections in Australia. I mean, Queensland's crazy. Oh. I, I, I sold my vehicle in Queensland and I had to provide a blue slip, I want to say. Yeah, well, a roadworthy certificate. Roadworthy yep. certificate. You can't sell it unless you... Yeah, yeah. So you actually a, can't sell a vehicle a in some states. 200 point safety check, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, imagine a, a tail light lens on an old car and you, and you over tighten that, that little Phillips socket and you get a little, t- the tiniest bit of spider cracking on that tail light lens. And they defected me for that. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, I always advocate, you know, buying in Queensland for that reason, because even though I lived in New South Wales and in, in, in the Blue Mountains, um, you know, the, the roadworthy checks and everything in, in mm. Queensland are crazy. But what that means for you buying a sight unseen vehicle that mm. has a roadworthy certificate, in my opinion, there's a certain level of comfort there because it's provided by a third party independent, you know, impartial mechanic um, that really just has to tick off these boxes. And I think it's a good indicator of, of that vehicle's health. Um, you know, you definitely don't want to buy, you know, four wheel drives from Hervey Bay, which is, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just new phrase wrong. Yeah. yeah. So they're all, you know, they've been run up the beach with, with salt water and stuff a lot. So if you can get, get vehicles from the, from the interior of the country, I think that's, that's always a really, you know, a really a good mm-hmm. option. And um, how much did that 70 series cost? I want to say at the time it was, it was around 12,000 Australian dollars and it was in 1997. You know, I was there with the intention that I was going to stay there for quite a while and we, we decided to come back, but you know, it was, it was relatively well sorted. Like we didn't, we had the, you know, we had the motor kind of gone through. It was a one inch diesel naturally aspirated. Um, so we had the injectors rebuilt and had it tuned down at Barama diesel. And um, it, it was, it was flawless. Like that thing, at when we sold it, then went across Australia another like half a dozen times. Um, so, okay. So it's actually funny, but um, it, it lives currently next to your sister's house. Oh, really? Yeah. Literally right? the, the house next door, they ended up buying <laughs> wow. and like Troy sends me a photo yep. and, and there's Snoopy was, yep. was my Choopy's name. So it's, it's kind of cool how That's these insane. vehicles go around. That's so cool. Um, they keep this story. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of great Facebook pages where you can buy vehicles. Um, if you want to buy a Troopy, there's a page Troop Carriers of Australia. Mm-hmm. They have a separate, um, you know, uh, place where you can actually buy and sell stuff. I, I, I think that's where you get a lot of the good, the good stuff these days. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. there's Gumtree, which is basically the equivalent of, of our Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit more formal, I, I would like to say. Yep. Um, and then carsales.com. Car sales. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I highly recommend it. I mean, for, for us actually owning the vehicle, I think really added to the experience. Um, you know, I think as, as we'll talk about with, with shipping a vehicle in, you know, I've had friends that have shipped vehicles in, I mean, Scott's vehicle that they shipped in for expedition seven. I mean, that was, you know, a New Zealand spec vehicle. It, it, it was very appropriate for Australia. I, I, I would, I guess, just caution, um, you know, sending certain vehicles down there. I mean, depending on where you're going to go, like make sure they sell that vehicle in Australia. Um, I, I, I think that that's pretty key. Um, you know, you, you may actually run into scenarios where they may not have like mountain dare sometimes doesn't have petrol or, or gasoline. Uh-huh. Um, so you're going to have to carry a lot of weight with you if you want to do the Simpson desert. Um, yeah, definitely take something down. That's diesel. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and it's an opportunity to, to, Try something new. To try something new. Yeah. I mean, it will cost you, in my assumption, I mean, I, it, it, with my day job, I, I'm constantly shipping containers from Australia. I, I, I know what it costs. I know that the port fees in Australia are really high. Scott, you, you've alluded to the fact that the quarantine scenario is, is, is crazy. I mean, I, I have friends that have spent in excess of $20,000 getting a vehicle from a port in the U.S. to a port in Australia and back. Um, 
know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you can, and that's a sunk cost that's gone. You're not getting it back where, you know, I mean, Hey, even take half of that. You have to get the vehicle back home, mm. buy something. Yeah. And the other challenge you got with that is the quarantine uh, yeah. restrictions in Australia. You know, if it's got any kind of bugs or seeds or grass or dirt on it, it then they'll send it back. Yeah, although, when I, although impound it and charge you lots of and, fees and, to clean it. Yeah. And, yeah. and anyone can buy a vehicle in Australia. You do not oh, yeah. have to have it. Yep. You just have to have an address, which, you know, I think for most overland travelers would be a relatively easy thing to do. People use a hostel address somewhere that you can receive mail. Uh, you, you do not have, you just have to be in Australia legally, which mm. means, I mean, essentially if you're, as long as you haven't overstayed your visa yep. Um, yep. and your, your driving license is valid, it's, you yep. know, and if you buy a good quality vehicle like a Toyota and do 10,000 yeah. kilometers on a round trip of Australia, at worst, you might sell it for $5,000 less than you bought it for. Yeah. And it's probably can, not even that. Yeah. Um, and you, you can buy, find stuff. That's, if you buy it well, you'll, you might even sell at the same price because yeah. those Land Cruisers and Toyotas in general just hold their value so, so well. You can find stuff that's completely outfitted very, very easily. Yep. So you can essentially fly in, maybe spend a few days making those personal modifications you want. There's a lot of four wheel drive shops that will do pre-check, you know, pre check pre-trip maintenance for you mm-hmm. and inspections. I mean, it's really well set up for, for doing that. There is actually a culture of like backpacker cars there, which you should avoid. Yep. One of the other things to watch is just the um, simple things like fuses. Um, the local gas station in Outback Australia probably won't have the fuse that you need for your truck. Um, and um, maybe the suspension is not really set up for just that level of endurance on washboarding and corrugations and rough roads. So. Yeah, I, I found um, people will ask, how are the roads in Australia and, and how do they compare to the roads in the U.S.? And, and, I, and I, I typically relate it to we have the opportunity in the U.S. to do recreational overlanding, which means that um, we can go seek out very difficult routes that maybe only last a day or two, very yeah. technical terrain like you'd find in Moab. And it's not to say that Australia doesn't have technical terrain because it does. Uh, but what you experience in Australia is abusive roads. Um, so the corrugations um, that you'll experience are extremely abusive to the vehicle. So what would work well here, like let's say a, a four-door Jeep Wrangler Rubicon um, would work really well for those remote technical routes that we would do in the U.S. You try to take a Wrangler across the Udenata track or what, anything that's heavily corrugated, I don't know how it would survive. They're just not designed for that kind of condition. And because of that, Jeep Wranglers don't sell well to those traveling in the center mm-hmm. of Australia. They do sell in Australia, but not, they don't use them for that purpose. I mean, I, I do in, in, in Jeep's defense, I do think that the new ones are yeah. maybe in oh, a yeah, different category, sure. but yeah, for they sure. don't really sell well. I mean, it, it again, Toyota country. Yep. So absolutely. The long wheelbase helps um, you know, some of the vehicles like the Gladiator, uh, you know, it looks a lot more suitable. Yeah. Nice wide stance, long wheelbase. Um, and assuming it's, it's made as strong as a Toyota, then it'll, it'll go fine. So. Yeah, I think it's it's all about durability in Australia. It really is. Um, you know the w- the way you would build a vehicle here, like I, y- you would you'd be crazy to to take a you know Heim joint long arm suspension setup down to Australia. In, in my opinion, I mean you're going to blow through Heim joints in a in a in a, in a trip. You know yeah. you want. I, I keep saying that this weekend. <laughs> you want factory bushings. You want stuff that has real yeah. durability to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of the failures we experienced in our trip, they weren't that major failures, but they were all related to corrugations. You know, a 
shock mount coming off a bushing or a sway bar or, or, or something. I mean, literally just rattling loose. Right. Um, I mean, I, I have a photo somewhere of, of putting a, a beer can in between the corrugations and I took a photo and you could like just see the top <laughs> of it. I mean, they are massive. Um, cause I get these road trains that come through uh-huh. here and some of the areas are just yep. a lot of recreational, yep. you know, four wheel drive touring traffic. Yeah. And the rocks on the road, I mean, they've just been waiting there for eons to punch at somebody's yeah, uh, unsuspecting right. tires. And we have to remember too, that most people that will be traveling to Australia do not drive a right-hand drive vehicle. Uh-huh. Um, so when you're traveling in the back country, you will tend to start to favor the center or the crown of the road because it's easier to drive on. Uh, but remember when you come to those uh, blind um, crests mm. that you need to get over to the left side of the road mm-hmm. um, so that you don't do a head on with the other person mm-hmm. who's going to the left, to the right side of the road from the other way. Um, so you have to be really careful with that because um, our natural in- instinct is those of us who drive left-hand drives is to swerve one way um, because that's what our, our muscle memory tells us to do. Mm-hmm. So we have to be very mindful when we try travel in a country with a different, that drives on the different side of the road. And then after you've been on the dirt for days, you're going to get on the highway and, Half of the people I've traveled with, they just pull out on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> I, I get screwed up in parking lots. Like, <laughs> yeah. like yep. I, there's really no like kind of rules in the parking lots. And that, that that's what always gets me. You, you make the mistake in the parking lot and then continue it out on the road. Mm. Um, mm. But. But, but to those points, um, you know, if you're looking for, a, you're going to look to buy a vehicle down there and um, be looking for something with decent suspension, um, good quality tires. Because um, yeah, your tires can quickly destroy your trip. Make sure you've got a, a decent tire gauge. They're the best insurance uh, for your tires. Um, but protection equipment, bull bars, side bars, particularly bull bars on the front, rear bars, uh, absolutely critical, especially if you're planning on doing any night tra- time travel in the dawn or the dusk. Um, you can be anywhere in Australia and anything from a kangaroo or a mob of kangaroos or an emu or a 800-pound uh, black cow at night. Um, walks out on the road, maybe even a camel. Um, you know, these these uh, animals, which we have lots and lots of, and they're, they're beautiful, but they can destroy your, destroy your pre- trip pretty quickly. Well, um, you and I were driving along yeah. the Great Australian Bight, and Rob was, Rob was driving. I can't remember. I was maybe you know, listening to a to a book or a podcast oh, yeah. or something. And and then uh, it sounded like it sounded like the uh, the truck exploded. Yeah. And we got hit. We got <laughs> hit by a kangaroo in the, in the, dri- kangaroo. In the driver's side door. Um, I, like it's, it's amazing to me that this animal, it actually ran into us. Yeah. It, like it, <laughs> it was, it was fine. It would have been okay if it had yeah. just stopped, but it, it literally ran right into the side of the vehicle. That's crazy. Um, and, you know, and of course the poor thing perished yeah. because yeah. of it. And yeah. which is, which is really hard to experience because oh. kangaroos remember the first time I went to Australia, I was driving from, from uh, Brisbane down towards uh, Sydney and I was so excited to see my first kangaroo and I saw lots of kangaroos, but none of them were alive. Yeah. They were all dead on the road. And, and like, finally, after like five days, I finally saw my first live kangaroo and they're, they are absolutely adorable creatures. They're incredible. Yep. They're incredible to watch. Yeah. They're, they're really run. cool. They're really cool. They're but extremely, don't, extremely. Don't feel cool. bad about killing one or two. Save yourself first. Just break yeah. hard and break straight. Cause we yeah. got plenty more. They'll, yeah. they'll regrow. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and this shouldn't intimidate you from going to Australia. No. We've talked about the box jellyfish and the great whites and the super spiders safe. and the super snakes safe. and everything. You know, uh, I don't know. If, if you're a traveler in the American Southwest, there's probably as many things that can kill you here. I mean, yeah, whenever I, I have this conversations with Australians, they're like, 
you guys have mountain lions. You guys yeah. have grizzly bears. You have yeah. black bears. Yeah. You, you have possum. great whites too. Yeah. You have the, the jellies yeah. too. You have the spikes, snakes and the spiders. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've, I've spent, you know, a, a, a pretty good amount of time camping in the middle of nowhere in Australia. And like the amount of times I've seen snakes or spiders is, um, you know, pretty, yeah. pretty rare. I mean, I think here, those animals kind of do encroach on you because we've encroached on so much of their habitat. Um, you know, in Australia, I, I guess I would say like, well, why would a snake really want to be by the road when they have yep. a million acres of undisturbed habitat? Um, yeah, just watch out for the drop bears, especially, yeah, drop bears, those those especially are, in Fraser those Island. Are, yeah. Those are really dangerous. Yeah, do your research folks. Stay safe out there. <laughs> it's really important. <laughs> you know, so um, when we talk about planning a trip to Australia, Rob, what would you recommend? Um, what are some resources, some good resources to get information on traveling in Australia? Um, what are some great websites um, to look at? Um, obviously, you know, there's several mapping choices. HEMA's, uh, in my opinion, is one of the best um, out there um, and the one that I use. But um, it's, I think it does require a little bit more planning because it's so easy uh, to either get lost or to get stranded. It's really a good idea to have a plan for how much fuel you're going to need, um, where there's going to be service. Mm -hmm. So how would you recommend people start to plan for their trip? Yeah, I'd, I'd spend some time on websites like you're talking about. Um, HemaMaps.com is great, um, but um, that's probably more maybe a secondary thing once you've figured out where you want to go and you want the map products. Uh, there's a wonderful website in Australia called ExploreOz.com. Um, yeah, great so, site. Uh, OZ.com. Uh, um, you know, it's... Um, it's really a community built site, community built content from um, hundreds of thousands of explorers that had driven the trail, posted up um, their trail, uh, got information and photographs and the like. Um, you can even uh, purchase vehicles or do um, online trading through there. Um, heaps of information about how to prepare for your trip. Um, even some of the major media organizations uh, like. Um, uh, what Camper Trailer Australia, um, Unsealed 4x4 that Matt used to work with. Um, but probably be aware that in, in a lot of those cases, the travel articles really are there about attracting the eyeballs, you know, to get um, people to click through. Um, and it's probably some of the community-driven sites like ExploreOz.com. Yeah, 100%. Um, which are much better because you're getting authentic um, information from travelers that have got no agenda to promote a particular area. Yeah. Um, I'm always a little bit skeptical of Australian media. There's a lot of, yeah. of pay-to-play stuff. Yeah, on. and a lot of um, you know, forums like uh, was it Prado.com, um, yeah, Prado Point, and Prado Point, Four by Four Earth.com. Four by Four Earth is a great one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you'll connect through to real users of real vehicles. Um, ask them about you know what issues they've had with different yeah. models. And the Facebook groups too. Once you do buy a vehicle, can be a, a huge, huge resource. Yeah. So do your homework online in terms of um, you know guidebooks and maps. You can buy them when you get there. Um, most of the local gas stations will have something um, or check out something like, uh, what is it, mapworld.com.au uh, if you want to buy it and ship it overseas. Um, but a number of the Australian um, products, the best Australian products are available in, um, even on Amazon now um, and through uh, a European website called Crownen. Um, so, but I'd say leave most of that to you actually get there. So in terms of paper product, guidebooks. Um Definitely worth having some kind of uh, digital navigation, uh, whether it's uh, – and make sure it's completely offline. All the HEMA apps offline, but there's a number of others available. Um, of course, 
it's a misnomer that you actually need a cell phone signal to get a GPS in your phone. That's actually in the hardware. So, um, you know, your, your, um, your mobile phone or your iPad will run for the GPS will run in for that for weeks yeah, and weeks in the outback yeah. without ever getting a mobile phone connection. That's right. So yeah, it's it got to get your maps offline or dedicated, dedicated yeah, GPS. I still have my HEMA maps app yeah. that I, you know, when I'm writing a story or something, I have all the lot, you know, the, the tracking yep. on and I can see exactly where I went. Yep. So it actually makes a kind of a cool. Yeah. So about 60 bucks US, um, use it on five different devices, um, all on, all offline. Um, so that's a great way to go. You can look at a dedicated GPS like the HEMA navigator or new, the, the new Garmin overlander. Um, one of the, the special arrangements I was able to make in the last couple of years is getting um, HEMA maps finally onto Garmin units. So all the new Garmin uh, GPS devices, just fantastic devices are now available with HEMA maps um, offline. That's cool. That's um, a big deal. Yeah. I didn't know that. So, yeah, Cause then you have the reliability of the Garmin units. Exactly. I mean, they're designed yep. to reliably record yep. tracks. They're and the reliability yeah. of the HEMA maps. Um, then um, another great resource for um, there's so much free camping. There's uh, an app called um, Camps Australia Wide, uh, which is an um, incredible reference guide. That's that massive book too, Yeah, massive right? book. Yeah, it's yeah. Available on an app. Um, there's also a cheaper one called Wikicamps. Um, not quite as accurate, but it's a user community-based one. Um, there's thousands and thousands of free campsites in Australia yeah. and some beautiful locations. We Wikicamps quite a bit, but we, we did find a few that were... A little bit sketchy, um, mm. you know, places that people were saying we're, we're fine to camp, but actually the local council is, you know, no camping or, or something like that. It's definitely going to watch yeah. Cool. And, and, uh, if you were, if you were to recommend, um, like if someone had two weeks mm-hmm. to go to Australia, which is the typical American vacation, if they had two weeks, where should they fly into, uh, where would you recommend that they go, um, and uh, give, give someone like an, an oversight of what they would experience along the way. Well, maybe give you three options. Uh, one, you would fly into Brisbane um, in Queensland, um, hire a vehicle in Brisbane, um, with a land cruiser, take it up to Fraser Island for two weeks um, and have a most spectacular time out on your own on the beach. Enjoying that. Um, you could fly into Cairns um, and hire a Toyota land cruiser again. Um, some of them you can um, get set up with the rooftop campers and, the like um two weeks easy out of cans to the tip of cape york top of australia and back um but they normally if you get a rental then the uh some of the most extreme tracks that you see on youtube on the old telegraph track they won't let you stay there some companies say well if it's if it's on a hema map you can go there and if it's not then you can't so that gives you a lot of place to go um uh yeah i think um beyond that i guess other Places like flying to Alice Springs if you want to do the Red Centre. Uh, unfortunately, for people that want to climb Uluru, uh, that's finishes at the end of this month. It's um, done. Yeah, that's it's right. It's done. But and that's, that's out of respect to the Aboriginal yeah. people, right? To that's the traditional owners, their, yeah. It's always been their, their preference. and That was their wish, yeah. Well, they got their wish, but it's a fabulous place to visit. Um, oh, still, and it's, it's so really it. well set up. I yeah, mean, it's so worth it. And Kings Canyon, you can walk around, um, you know, the Simpson Desert. It's only a day's drive east of there. Um, you can drive McDonald across. Ranges are beautiful. Yep. West McDonald Ranges, for Kings sure. Canyon. Yeah. Mm. That was actually Gorgeous. some of our favorite, one of our favorite areas in Australia. Yep. I, I think it was actually, yeah. it was very spectacular. But. It's, it's pretty special, the whole Red Center. Yeah. yeah, really great. Well, Rob, what other advice would you give as we start to wrap up here? If you had to kind of shotgun 
some some things for people to think about before they travel to to Australia, how they should be prepared. Um, obviously, look, do some research on the CDC. Make sure that you have the inoculations that you need. Um, that's really important uh, before you go into any country. Um, make sure you do some research on uh, what you need for healthcare, what you need uh, for evacuation insurance if you need to uh, to get out of an area um, in the middle of the country. Um, do some research before you leave. But what are some other things you'd like to just add in closing? Yeah, I think I mean you don't know me long enough, Scott, that I'm um, I'm very much about this. But first, the important thing is to just go. Um, don't you want to be well prepared, but don't think you've got to have this or you know how to you know, tackle a crocodile. Um, important thing is be committed to go and have the courage to go because um, there's so much of it you can figure out on the ground. Um, vehicle choice is important, but you know, like any overlanding trip or, or, or driving trip, it's the, the basics of of how you're planning that. Um, you know, simple things like having a, a tire gauge to to manage your tire pressures, decent tires, um, decent simple camping equipment. You know, keep it simple. Um, you don't need all the gear. Um, generally, the the climatic conditions are just fabulous, especially in the really back in the summer. Yeah, they really yeah. are. You know, I don't even don't take a raincoat. You've got to be prepared for freezing at night yeah, sometimes. Sure. But you know, you can plan for three, four months of the year where it's dry weather. So um, you know, keep it simple. You might not even need anything more than a just a cooler box for yeah. you know keeping things um, cool. So um, yeah, do your research. Um, you know, get in, make some friends online. Um, they're gonna to know you welcome to you you know they're going to say hey when you come over come by and i'll show you around the vehicle and tell you places to go um you know that that's so easy to do now yeah online. for sure um take a good camera or a good phone because you um and be ready for you know the other thing i say to people traveling australia is just expect the unexpected and that's one of the um some of the most amazing experiences are the ones that you're not planning to have it's the ones that surprise you on that five o'clock track in the afternoon or the sunset you get or the or well, the person that you meet um, in the introduction to you know, a local guy at the bar that you get um, yeah. and the stories that might come out of that. Or even if something goes wrong, then great. Well, someone else will come along and help you out and, and enjoy, just enjoy the fact that somebody's bothered to come all right around the world to see their, their beautiful backyard. You know, we're, we're a welcoming nation. Um, what would you say is uh, your best experience that you've had in Australia? What was the, the one the one thing that you were so surprised by so surprised by well, there's been so many scott so um just going through the memory banks i think uh like i talked about before one of my very best experiences was was um traveling across a week across the desert uh with a mate and getting stuck um that's the most common story i tell you know we got bogged for a whole day in this in this um in this clay pan but it was a, the best memories of my life. I mean, I drove, um, we drove through about a mile long of deep water, you know, after that, I think, wow, would I ever do that again? So that and the experience I talked about before with my family in the Kimberley, um, showing them places that that I um, you know, spent my life mapping and, and were the real jewels and then showing them to the next generation. Yeah, for sure. How about you, Matt? What was the top? What was the coolest thing that happened? There's this, there's this little campground um, called Eddie's Beach Camp. Um, north of Cooktown and the sunset there. I've, I've lucky enough to be there twice and both sunsets were amazing. I don't know. Mm. It sounds, it sounds weird, but uh, there's a silica mine and there's these little capes that, that jut out. I want to say that that particular one is Cape Bedford. And oh, that's a special spot. 
the sun, the sun sets over the ocean, then over this, over this, this, this Cape. And it just, it, it lights up. I have these photos from there that, that, I don't know, I, I think are the closest thing I've ever come to a national geographic photo straight out of the camera. I mean, um, Cape York's just this wonderful place. I mean, I, I do not think Australians or Americans think of Australia, you know, w- w- with Cape York. Um, they always think of the desert as I've kind of said, and, um, yeah, that, that's it for me. I, I, I love it. I did a trip with my dad from Alice Springs down to Melbourne. That was awesome. It was so neat to travel his first time out of the country with me. So that was really neat. But Tasmania, I think is one of my most, most favorite places in Australia. It was really special. All right, guys. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what is next. So Matt, you're about to leave Overland Expo. What are you doing? I don't know. I honestly, we have no idea. You've got so a gladiator and I, no have a, I have a gladiator and a camper and, uh, and you know, a credit card and, and, and maybe a week until I'm, I'm due back in the office. So maybe Key West, maybe New Orleans, uh, maybe Key Bar Harbor, cool. Maine. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to, while we're out on the East coast to, to take advantage of it. Um, you know, Overland Expo East has been great. We've met a lot of, a lot of fantastic people. You know, I think it's, it's cool to see the community growing over here. I mean, like we'd all kind of admit it's a, a West coast centric um, industry, yeah. at least when it started. And it's, it's cool to see people adopting the, the same kind of stuff over here. I'm sure just wonderful people. So what's, ne- what's next for you, Rob? What are you doing uh, well, tomorrow? The next, what do you got going on? I, I get to borrow, um, fortunately one of these Bruder expedition trailers and go with um, Chris from expedition portal uh, and try out a new GMC truck and, yeah, we'll go knock ourselves out in a, for a few days around here, exploring some trails and places I've never been before. So looking forward to that. Yeah, sounds great. I'm looking forward to going home and writing up some of my experiences and maybe going camping. I think I'm going to go camping. Camping, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> looking forward to that. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, we appreciate your time. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with this, and we will see you in the next episode.